Good morning, everybody. Good morning. My name is Tyler Johnson. <clears throat> I am one of the pastors here, and today's going to be a bit different. So I intentionally asked for a table and a chair because I just really want to talk with you. In the history of this church, um, Tom Schrader was the founding pastor, and he'd have these moments where he'd do a state of the church address. Now, I know if you think through state of the church, you think standing behind a podium, very polished. This is not going to be polished. I up front want to um, say to you, it may be emotional, may not be, um, but this is a moment really for me to share my heart with you all on some rationale of where we've been, um, what we've been going through, and ultimately where we're going. Um, that's a desire really to share my heart, but also to provide clarity for you. Um, Paul Artino, one of the pastors here, says this often, is that clarity is kindness. And I think um, maybe, uh, probably certainly, in our own fault and in my fault, we haven't been as clear as we should have been on some things. So that's my hope. You can be praying along with me that that actually happens. I'm probably prioritizing the sharing of the heart, believing that um, it'll provide the most amount of clarity possible um, in the midst of this. So let me just start here. Um, if you're new, this is going to feel weird and probably already does um, in the midst of it because you're used to probably we're walking in ready for someone to just get up and, and make a speech. So I think it'll be great for you to be here. Um, I think there's a lot that's going to be talked about this morning that I'm going to try to get at that has a lot to do with what's happening in culture and for you to understand who the church is and ultimately who the church should be as we follow Jesus. If you're, you've been here um, pretty new and you're just like, I love this, there's going to be a whole, some stuff and maybe a whole bunch of stuff that you hear this morning that you're like, I have no idea that was happening. Or you could be here a really long time and go, I had no idea all that was happening. Um, but here's the truth of the matter to get to the point. So as we sit in culture, there's a lot of division, Right? right? You guys living in the same world I am, right? There's, there's a lot of division that's out there. And the first thing um, I want to just say is it's been existing in our church as well. There's some things that have happened, some videos that I've been part of doing, some things that we've been communicating, um, which at best maybe has, uh, well, it's catalyzed some people, it's confused a lot of people and alienated others, which was never ultimately the intention. And so what's happening out there is happening in here. And that happens all the time. And I want you to see up front before I just speak uh, from my vantage point and from my heart that this was true in Jesus' day as well. Jesus walked into a context and a community at the time that arguably was more divided than we live in today. Certainly not less, maybe about the same. But if you think about it, the Jews were there living at this time against the Romans. It was like the Jews versus the Romans, the Samaritans versus the Jews, the Jews versus the Greeks. Then it got even deeper. It wasn't just Jews versus Greeks. It was Greek Jews versus Hebrew Jews, clean Jews versus unclean Jews, sinful Jews versus pure Jews, Pharisees versus the Sadducees, and then you had the rich versus the poor, and men versus women. So this is not new to Jesus. Amen. Right? There's a part of that that's really helpful to set our frame of reference, um, but also to give deep amounts of confidence. When you go, Jesus lived in these times, and he operated in such a way that for those of us who seek to follow him, um, we know he has experience. The Bible says this to us, is that there's nothing that we have experienced that he hasn't experienced. There's nothing we've been tempted by that he hasn't temp been tempted by. The only thing that's fundamentally different is that when we give in to sin, Jesus never did. When we give in to division, Jesus never did. When we seek to remove ourselves because things are uncomfortable, he kept powering through. I've been thinking of this image recently of the sound barrier. And there were all these moments when the man who was flying or people who were flying to break the sound barrier would hit it and it would get turbulent and they'd pull back. Then they may go a little bit further, it'd get really, really turbulent. And they're like, the plane's gonna explode and they'd turn back. That there were dozens of these people. Finally, the one who actually broke the sound barrier just said, if it blows up, it blows up, I'm going. And then went through all the turbulence and then got through it. We live in really turbulent times. And if you're new here or you're somewhat new or you've been around a long time, or if you don't know, I just want you all to know there's been a lot of turbulence in this church 
in the last few months. And the reason I'm up here talking is because of my leadership position, but also because I've been the direct um, focus of much of this turbulence. And where I have an opportunity to own um, responsibility for lack of clarity of communication or bring something, I want to do it. But I've been reflecting upon a passage in Galatians chapter five that you're open to turn there if you want. Otherwise, I'm just gonna read it. But I think it's, I've, I've said it in so many settings. I did not say it at 9.30, um, but I'm gonna speak to it here. So in Galatians chapter five, there is this whole section on Christ setting us free. And Paul, who's the author of this book, is really, really, really concerned. You could even say obsessed with us not losing grace that you don't add anything to Jesus and what Jesus has done in his life, his death, and his resurrection for one fundamental reason. That's not good news. That if it's our job to fix ourselves, we're in bad space. If it's our job to fix the world, we're in bad space. To fix it. Now, what happens is we are a people who receive grace that the gospel is always received, not achieved. Okay, that's something you can write down. Always, the good news of the gospel is that this is what God's done and is doing in his pursuit of us. So this is where Paul's speaking about Christ has set us free. And he's saying all of these things that you think are religious, circumcision, uncircumcision, they don't count for anything. And then he says this in verse 13. And I'm gonna read verses 13 to 15 and then expound on um, some of these thoughts. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now the next verse, really listen to. Think about it culturally, Think about it in your family. Think about it in your marriage. But he's speaking to the church. Listen to this. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Now, this is happening in our culture is that we're biting and devouring one another and we're consuming each other. But as we think about it in the church and we think about this image that the church really is a family, and I want you to picture with me for a minute a family table, is you bite and devour one another. The world watches that and goes, I wouldn't really like to be a part of the cannibals, right? Like I don't, like you go there and they eat each other alive. So there's this reality of what do we really need? And when you hear this, my concern sometimes is that in the church and maybe even outside, we feel like what he said before is almost like a Hallmark card. It's nice idealism, we'll tip our hat. For freedom you were called. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity of the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law, folks, that's a big statement. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. One statement, love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law. Paul does this often, Jesus does it often, but we hear those words in a land of division. We hear those words in a reality of in our context, we have tremendous amounts of fear in a world where everybody wants to win, which means the world's separated in winners and losers. Everybody wants to win the argument. So right now you sit at a time in the midst of culture where many people assess the fundamental problem is that there are groups of people and by name things like Black Lives Matter or these different organizations that are seeking to destroy Western civilization. And they have Marxist tenets to them. And, and I want you to hear me when I say all this. Some of this very well may be true and likely is true. They have Marxist tenets. They're trying to destroy Western civilization. Well, the whole other side says there's a whole huge power grab that's embedded in these oppressive people and in these oppressive systems, much of which I'm saying to you is true. Right? And there's wars. Then there's other people who go, and there's a giant international conspiracy of people who are coming together that are trying to control the world. And people have recently watched the show Social Dilemma on Netflix and the intentional design to control people through their consumeristic and materialistic tendencies and tribalize us even more through social media. 
So there's the answers and the establishment of the problem is different. Everybody views it differently. And so we stand right now and we go, what is our path forward? What ultimately is the lens and the lane in which we follow? And I just want to submit to you very clearly as I unzip myself, I, I honestly say we have no hope if Jesus isn't the lens we view everything through in the lane in which we walk. A deep establishment that Jesus himself, as we watch him in the gospels and we see him accomplish the salvation of the world in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. If we don't follow him, we have not a shot. Now, let me tell you a little bit about myself as we get into this. One of the accusations is we've sought to really walk in to what the scope of the gospel looks like. What does it really look like to love our neighbors as ourselves as we listen to people that feel as though they've not been listened to before? As we seek to move ourselves and be transformed, where ultimately do we sit? Well, I have to start with myself and one way in which I'm going to tell you this story is going to answer this question that I think I've already just answered. But one of the things is we've sought to press into this, specifically some of the things we've spoken to is around the racial tension and seeking to listen to people of color who are black and brown and indigenous and even listen to women and understand what is the situation we find ourselves and how has sin taken root in our hearts and in our society and in our churches. I want to answer this accusation. As we sought to press into that, Tyler believes a different gospel, like a Jesus plus gospel. Guys, if there's a Jesus plus gospel, I'm going to hell. Because I, I haven't done it. I can't do it. I can't live up to the standards. If it's not all grace... If this fundamentally, the judgment at the end is going to be based upon what you've done and you haven't done, I'm not walking in with Jesus. I am very aware. I grew up in a home that was primarily all about baseball. My father's a very prominent amateur baseball coach, very successful in the end. Um, so the extent of my spirituality and Christianity growing up was baseball's the American pastime and Americans are... Christians, I guess. So I guess I'm a Christian. That was it. In my junior year of high school, as recruiting for baseball started, I had, I, I can't explain it in any other way than just a real encounter with God in the face of Jesus, a recognition of my own sin and an experience of grace, which people speak about as unmerited favor. It was this gift that the truth of the gospel is that it's always, as I've said, received, not achieved. But it was relational. It wasn't just transactional that I got grace. It was an encounter with the living God. It was a real walk that I couldn't say it was any different. It disrupted me at such a level that even in the midst of my recruiting, I'm trying to navigate. I had come from this predominantly baseball tribe, and I'm trying to figure out, like, what does this mean? If this is ultimately true, what does this mean? And if I now know God is true and I want to follow him, so when I show up to Arizona State University to play baseball, um, all of my false foundations, I left an incredible group of friends, a family that was extraordinarily loving, pause, bracket. I've said this before here, but this is really important for you to understand me. The home I grew up in was not a Christian home, but the home I grew up in was unbelievably loving. My dad is a gravelly-voiced coach. My mother is a spitfire at so many levels. You know, she can tell you you're wrong in a lot of different ways, and she can tell you her opinion. But my home was radically loving, emotionally loving, physically loving, and verbally loving. We would say all the time, we fail like crazy, but we love each other. We'd have these Johnson four-ways where my sister would get in with my mother and father and we would just hug each other. And the security that brings to a kid, even to a 42-year-old man right now, that regardless with what happens with all of this, I'll be fine because I have my family. And I say this all the time, this is the ending of the parentheses, that as I've been around the church, I would take the home I grew up in because it expressed the heart of the father more than what I'll call a lot of, and this is not a judgment to you because I have plenty of it in my own self, but these narcissistic, which is rooted in fear, Christian homes in which you have to live up to it. 
You gotta live up to the standard that aren't gospel-based, that create radical insecurity in them. I'll take a home that loves and fill in that that's the heart of God with all of the truth, and it will be more received than it will be a place where you know you gotta dot every I and cross every T when it comes to your knowledge of the Bible and all of your behavior. So I experienced that in a family, then the radical grace of God, and everything's opening up for me. I play two years in baseball, and I travel with athletes in action, and on a summer tour, I hear 1 Corinthians 12 taught in this unbelievable vision of the church. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this reconciliation. This is a key word between two of the groups I mentioned before that Jesus walked in and absolutely hated, Who were they? The Jews and the Gentiles, big categories. And then there was divisions inside of all of this. And he says, here's the deal. What's happening in Christ is all these different kinds of people, Jew and Gentile come together, Romans and Jews, Samaritans and Jews, Jews and Greeks, unclean Jews and clean Jews, Greek Jews and Hebrew Jews, sinful Jews, pure Jews, Pharisees, Sadducees, rich, poor, men and women. They're all coming to a table and it's making a body. And this body is beautiful and the hand shouldn't say to the foot, I don't need you. And the ear shouldn't say to the mouth, I don't need you. And then he says, when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And I get this vision, I'm like, this is incredible. And then the the man says, you never get to experience that universal body of Christ, but in a local context. And I remember thinking to myself, in a local context, like what? I just thought you go to church on Sunday, it doesn't matter which one you're in, just show up. And he began to play out, well, no, it's covenant relationship, it's real relationship. How would you define covenant relationship? It's a family. And all of a sudden, the heart of God began to open for me because some of my greatest experiences to this day in my life is sitting at our family table in just outside of Denver, Colorado, outside when the weather's great, and when we get to invite all types of different friends to this table. And we say, you have refrigerator rights to the fridge that when you walk in the garage, you can pull something out. And we sit at this table, and when I know there, I'm not gonna be ousted. Like, I'm a Johnson, and I'm a Johnson forever. And I began to understand the heart of the Father is Where this is all going and where it's all ending is what's called the wedding supper of the Lamb, this incredible table where every nation, tribe, and tongue are sitting there. And if you play out what is every nation, tribe, and tongue, it's certainly the unification of where these areas of division have functioned in society forever, male and female, rich and poor, Jew and Greek, the way the Bible talks about barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, the way we'd talk about it, black and white, Woke and unwoke. Make America great again and Black Lives Matter. And you start looking at this and you're going, how is that even possible? That's absolutely impossible. And I begin to be captured by this vision. So when I show up in the ministry world, I I go and I'm talking to this guy, I need to find a, a church. And he says, I'll send you to a church you'll never leave. I've said to him now, I'm like, I think that was prophetic. Now, you may not know what that word means. Like, I think that was really God. And he goes, I didn't mean it to. And I'm like, well, God spoke through a donkey as well. So he can speak a lot of different ways. And the reason I say that now is there's all these moments from when I stepped foot on East Valley Bible Church, which is Redemption Gilbert, where I've wanted to leave and God has never allowed me to. And some of you may sit out there who've been here a long time and say, well, Tyler sits in that seat because his father-in-law was Tom who founded the church and it was nepotism. Maybe it was, I don't think it was, maybe it was, but one way or another, God has allowed me to sit in the seat to lead Redemption Arizona. And so I really do show up to this church that at this point I've never left. But I show up at this point with a real deep, serious encounter with God and an open vision to like God's doing something in the church. And as I enter into ministry world, what began to feel so weird to me is you'll show up to these conferences and it felt to me like a 14-year-old baseball tournament. Like here are all these people saying they're Christians and they follow Jesus, but they're all wearing different jerseys. And they're sizing each other up. Oh, they're big. They look competitive. Oh, they believe that. Oh, they believe this. Oh, they do this. Oh, they do that. Oh, they're this. Oh, they're that. And I'm going, this feels so weird. And I didn't know. And guys, I didn't know up from down. And let me just pause really quick in case you're worried. I am, I love theology. I love the Bible. 
I love what they call exegesis of mining the Bible in the midst of it. But I'm growing in awareness that the way the Bible defines maturity and the way many of us have grown up in defined maturity may not be the same thing. Because when Paul breaks down in Galatians, as which he does many other places, and he says, what fulfills the whole law? And he says, serve and love your neighbor as yourself. And when Jesus gathers before he goes to the cross and he's gathering at this last supper and he walks in and he begins to model if any of you are in education or you think about human formation or transformation and you think, how do you ultimately get somebody to do what you want them to do? The recognition most of the time is it isn't just by telling them to do it, but it's to model for them. The people really are, they mimic, they watch, they follow. So Jesus walks in and he takes off his clothes and he dons a wash basin and a towel and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, Peter has no frame of reference for this. So he's like, don't do it. And he goes, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of me, then Peter's like, wash every part of me, right? Because I got nothing else, right? The same Peter, where would I go? You have the words of eternal life. And Jesus begins to wash the disciples' feet. Well, at that moment, he then speaks this word and he says, a new command I give to you. This sounds a lot like Paul. Paul's picking up Jesus in the passage I read to you that the whole law is fulfilled in this word. He says, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. This is what's so interesting about Jesus is he actually builds upon the Old Testament that he doesn't just say, love your neighbor as yourself, but he says, love as I have loved you. And in so doing, the whole world will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, for me, I don't know if there's anything that burns in me and motivates me more than people people who've confessed Jesus and those who've never confessed Jesus to actually know Jesus. There's nothing that strikes a chord in me more personally than seeing and knowing Jesus. And I don't sound, say that to try to sound more godly than you. I mean it seriously. When I sat on this dorm room floor of my college dorm calling my best friend as Jesus had disrupted my life and I'm not playing the way I wanted and my family's gone and my friends are gone, I remember saying just through tears and tears and could hardly get it out, Josh, all I want is I want to know Jesus. If I never play another day of baseball as long as I live, I want to know Jesus because whatever just encountered me is life. I'm like, I'll give it all up. And I remember early on in that moment, Philippians chapter three came to me when Paul was speaking and talking about all of his pedigree, that I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of Pharisees, circumcised on the right day. And he goes through all this thing and he says, it's all rubbish, right? The Bible won't even translate. He literally is like, it's all crap compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost everything. And then he says, with all this passion, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I, at the moment, I remember thinking like, this is so radical. But now I see that passage in Paul, not so much as this amazing theological discourse, but as a man who's in love. Paul Miller is this uh, friend, he's written some books, but he's become a real good friend of mine. And he said to me, you have to think about that passage like a Disney princess. Like get out of your head, stop trying to spiritualize it and theologize it. That's a Disney princess, that's a man who's in love. A man who's ravished by his bride and who's just sitting there saying like, I think everything's garbage compared to being with you. So in this motivation, I now find myself at this church and, and doors begin to open for me here at Redemption Gilbert at substantial levels. And I have this vision of this church and this heart of the Father who's building this multi-everything table in Christ and in Christ alone. Hear me say that, in Christ and in Christ alone. And I'm going, I want that. And as each time things come up, I have this passion to see what I learned about in 1 Corinthians 12, that this would really come together and we would be able to experience what it is to be the family of God. And as my time has grown on, I just want to say this, the opening of the heart of the father, of him being like a dad. Now, I want to appeal to you right now. Right now, we live in a time 
where tons of people are making plans right now at this given moment for Thanksgiving and for Christmas, but we live in such divisive times that we live in a time right now where there are parents who can't get their whole families together because of political differences, because of ideological differences, because of people saying, I just can't be in that home, and the parents are weeping. Now, I wanna say to you, the weeping of the parents because of their love for the kids is the same weeping the father has right now about his church. So when we got in, there was some sort of that vision, not fully articulated, not fully understood, when we said, we're gonna drop the names Praxis and Tempe and East Valley Bible Church, and we're gonna merge redemption. And then we began to go out, and the language we begin to use now is that we adopted some churches, we fostered others, got them healthy, sent them out, they don't have the redemption name. Others, we birthed most of them. We're using this family language to try to communicate to it. But what's happening is, is there's all these churches in different contexts. They're ministering to different people, and they have different leaders Leaders with different experiences, with different vantage points, with different understandings of the world. And we're putting them all together at a table. So at the beginning of COVID, prior to any of the social unrest disrupting publicly and in knowledge to the whole community, before Ahmad Arbery gets shot in that neighborhood and before George Floyd, COVID hits and we're sitting at this table on a Zoom call and many of those who just candidly, this is the truth, are in more kind of suburban um, environments and affluent are beginning to talk about people in their churches losing jobs and businesses losing money and um, people struggling and kids not being able to graduate and the losses, which are all deep, real losses, and we're trying to feel it. But you see the people that are in the environments that are more poor and have experienced more marginalization in many of the communities that we can just drive by and never look at very much. Now, hear me when I say that, because I've learned this. When I make a generalized statement of that, I'm not speaking to every single one of you as an individual, saying you always drive by these communities and never see it. But generally speaking, these are communities that at least feel unseen, and in reality, when you look at what happens, are unseen. Well, people that are representing those communities that are in those communities are sitting on this call as people are talking about that and they're very disrupted. And I can see it. In my view as a leader, and, and this has been taught to me um, by Tim very directly um, and also by Tom, is like, when there's tension, just go in it. Don't avoid it, just go in it. So what's going on, guys? And what they begin to say is it's really interesting right now when this begins to affect you all, you're really disrupted. But for years and years and years and years and years and years, we've experienced these things, we've brought them up and you've never paid that much attention to them. Now, I'm not gonna go, right now, I know everybody in this room is trying to slice and dice. Is that true? Is it not true? Are they right? Are they not right? What's ultimately happening? We just now are in covenant relationship. We're family with each other. This isn't an organization. This is people who are trying to figure out being conformed to the image of Jesus and we're feeling it with each other. And one guy goes, yeah, but, and another guy goes this, and there's, I mean, noticeable tension in the midst of this, all the, to the point of where there were calls and apologies after, calls and clarifications after, but it was all there. And for another time, there was a moment that the issues when it came to marginalization, oppression, racism, were being pushed in front of our face at a relational level that they were no longer being engaged as an idea, but shared as an experience. Now, right now in the context we live in, in our world, regardless of the situation, when we fall into judgment, what we're doing is we're interacting with those people as ideas rather than experiences as views and ideology rather than as real people. At that moment, we're experiencing together what it means and to bear each other's burdens. 1 Corinthians 12 is coming back in my head of when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. Now, I don't remember the timeline, but at some point in there, Ahmad Arbery gets shot, it's on video, we're watching it. This isn't even a police officer, it's somebody in a neighborhood and there's a huge part, a section of redemption that's really hurting. We make a statement that a word needs to be said and out of that comes this video called Racism, the Heart of God is Wounded. Now in that video, there were things that I said that frustrated a lot of people. Like we can't just wait for the facts. 
I wasn't saying facts are unimportant. I wasn't arguing against the court of law. I was recognizing there's a group of people who don't feel like the legal system or the situation has ever treated them justly and they are deeply grieving and they're a part of our covenant community, which I don't wanna keep saying that, our family. And I was saying, we can't just wait for that. We have to feel with them. We have to experience them. We can't right now feel like, yeah, we're the expert all the time. We have to, the word would be, incarnate like Jesus did. Sit with people and weep with them when they weep. And in so doing, there were moments that then we recognized, wow, there's areas we've been indifferent to that we should be indifferent no longer. When I made that statement, many people viewed, I was saying every individual in this church is a racist or every individual in this church has been indifferent. I don't know all of your stories. I know mine. I know I'd been indifferent too long. I know there were moments I had been way too quiet. And I know this, that is the community of Christ being pressed to be conformed into the image of Jesus. All these things are working for good. I had sat in these seats many times when Tom Schrader, the founding pastor of this church, would quote Romans 8.28 and he would say, all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. And I remember the times I would sit there and be a little bit cynical and think like, well, it'd be really nice to know what the good is. That sounds just like when the world says everything happens for a reason. Well, tell me the reason. Right? I remember feeling that. And then I remember one day opening and looking at Romans 8, 29, right after it says that, it says, he who predestined us to be conformed into the image of his son. And I remember thinking, that's the good. The good is being made like Jesus. And if it's being made like Jesus, that means at every moment, I'm under this process of being renewed, of being conformed. And then I thought, but we're the bride of Christ. That isn't just me as an individual. It's all of us are being made more and more like Jesus. Then that means change is a reality. And all of a sudden, Tom's words of, we hold a never-changing truth about Jesus, but we practice it with ever-changing methods. We have to embrace change. Change is really hard, but it's what God's doing in us, in the church, and ultimately in the world. And I'm listening to that at this moment as all this tension's here and I'm thinking, this tension's not a bad thing. It's the crucible. It's the mechanism that brings suffering because we suffer in love. I so love these people and we make a statement in a video. Now I realize that video probably is not the best mechanism with a talking head to communicate to all the complex dynamics. But the heart of that video was to say, like the psalmist says, Lord, search me and know me. See if there is any sinful way within me. The way in which I said it was rend your hearts, not your garments. But it created this internal brew, many questions, things happened. We then gathered with a prayer march of many different churches. And I want to be really clear on this. Many people got frustrated with the way things were articulated in the midst of that prayer march. There was a fist that sat there and many people were like, you might as well have put a middle finger on it. You might as well at that point have just said, you hate white people. You know, there's a whole video that's been developed about me that I'm trying to create this church to be racist against white people. I told my wife who doesn't have a lot of pigment in her skin, I said, that's a huge problem for you if that's true. Um, Cause you're really white. Um, and I know, listen to me, I know this right now. I know that even me saying the term whiteness or categorizing these things builds in people just supercharged terminology. I'm trying to talk about a reality in our world that has separated us according. If you wanna hear me very clearly and you wanna get into social dynamics, I believe wholeheartedly that human beings are made in the image of God in multiple ethnicities, there's one human race. But the fact is sin has gotten in our world and separated people based upon this category of race and others haven't looked at things the exact same way as that. And so now you go, what does it mean to be a church? I don't know how many of you have. I'd love to see hands, but you don't have to do it. But there's a show out right now that's really impacted me called The Chosen. If you haven't watched it, I really recommend. It's free. You can give to it. But it creates this scene that's very accurate to the Gospels of how Jesus is calling people to table fellowship in him of all types and stripes. 
And you watch in these certain moments, and there's this moment where the apostle Peter, when Paul calls um, Matthew, the tax collector, into their tribe, if you will, Peter's so angry because this is a Jew who's siding with the oppressor. And he's super frustrated, like, you cannot do this. And you realize that as Jesus called these people to a table and then he said these radical things like, unless you leave your father, mother, brother and sister, you cannot be my disciple because the nature of following him began to divide families. Now, I'm not saying I'm Jesus and I do this perfectly. There are people who are massively confused and right now in this church, based upon things we've done and specific things I've said, there are homes that are divided over their understanding and interpretation of what I'm saying. And I'm telling you at the outright, grace is all we got, but grace moves you into a scope of love that is so radical that if we understand it rightly, we're all uncomfortable. And it's so uncomfortable that most of us, including myself, don't want to step into it for fear of being wrong. And I would tell you that fear, the fear that doesn't propel us into risky natures of love is why our world is falling apart. That if you talk to that person, that means you're this. That means you're complicit in this. That means you've done this. It's biting and devouring one another. So we reluctantly sit back rather than say, Lord, I'm going to take a risk. I'm not going to say it all the same, the right way. I, what I'm saying to you now, I know now, right now, hindsight 2020, right? Which I don't even believe my hindsight's 2020, right? I don't understand it. But I understand that is the risky nature of walking into this. So what we decide to do when we gather these churches together after George Floyd is to create a prayer moment with multiple different types of churches. What we knew at that moment is typically everything is written in order that your desire is that everybody would understand it, but everybody gets confused. So at that moment, we said, hey, those of you who feel like you're not seen and you're not heard, people of color, you write this. And it created a, a ridiculous amount of confusion and views of things that were said that aren't ultimately what were being said, but we were trying to say what we said, even if insufficiently. That we think there is a problem in our world and that Jesus propels us to get into the game of this specifically. But we were allowing those on the margins to design and articulate what we were trying to do. That was our desire. And our desire, if you go, well, why were you trying to do that? I want to just play something out for you, both for understanding of what's happened and to understand our aspiration and desire that God would give us the grace to propel a vision into the future. And it's this. When you're building this table fellowship of all kinds of people, there are these scenes that Jesus tells parables about, like the parable of the lost sheep, where he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. And that parable shows his heart for those who are uniquely challenged, who are in a situation that aren't being seen. It would have been easy to just go with the crowd. Oh, 99, we lost the one. He doesn't do it. It shows the heart of God by going after the one and his heart is shown not just to the one, but to the 99. He's saying, when it gets to a point where it's really hard, when it comes to a point where it feels like you're always up against a ceiling that you can't get through, when it's, I'm going after you, that's how you understand then the next parable, which is the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son, that when the son even asks to get his inheritance early and he leaves, but he decides to come back, the father runs after him and throws a party and he wants a party of table fellowship with his family, but the older son goes, nope. He just critiques the heart of his dad. This isn't fair. It's not right. It's not just. And God's going, I think you're missing the point. The point of this ultimately is love. Well, that moment led um, in the nature of the footprint and influence of redemption. We had an opportunity to gather a group of pastors together and show up at First Institutional Baptist Church downtown, which is the historic black church in downtown Phoenix for a gathering of the African-American Christian Clergy Coalition that's led by Dr. Warren Stewart Sr., who is maybe the pivotal um, person to get Martin Luther King holiday recognized. And the whole point was there was a group of larger churches, and again, I understand these are supercharged words, predominantly white, that are wanting to hear challenges and pain. 
So we come into a room and it was super tense. It was unbelievable as these black pastors shared their pain, um, their grievances at times, their confusion. It was really disorienting and really confusing. And for me, at that moment, I, my heart was just crushed because I thought to myself, at this moment, what you're seeing is God's looking at his family for all of those who lift up Jesus, right? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, John 3, so God has lifted up Jesus to draw all people to himself. And the way he'll do it is by his children loving each other that we would know were his disciples, John 13, and then his deep prayer in John 17, that they would be one that the world may believe. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, we're just eating each other alive. And I'm sitting in this pain and it's just crushing me. And I leave and I end up at Jack DeBartolo's office because he had invited me over for a coffee um, just down the road. And I, I just keep getting up and walking to the bathroom and I'm just weeping and weeping because when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And I want you to hear me really clearly. I'm not thinking of that passage going, this should hurt you. It's just hurt. Like there are people in that room on the side of African-American Christian Clergy Coalition that I love and know, and it's, it's gutting me. It's just, now in the end, I want you to recognize here, there are so many of you right now that are thinking, you know, is there pain justified or is it not justified? Is it not? I would say this, until you're in proximity and you really begin to hear this thing, we don't, neither side of the communities really understand each other. That's the biggest so what that came out of that is we don't know each other and we need to get to know each other. So after that, Karen Stewart, who's here uh, today that I'm developing an incredible friendship with and being deeply enriched by, asked me to be on a Facebook Live with her for First Institutional Baptist Church, a lunchtime Facebook Live in which she would talk about both the video that I had done on racism, the heart of God is wounded, and the whys behind it and the assessment of where we are. Now, I want you to understand the lens I'm walking into this with. I wish now... What should have happened was Karen sitting on stage with me in a room like this with a whole bunch of people from First Institutional Baptist invited and a whole bunch of you invited, and you're sitting at tables with them as I sit at a table with Karen, and we have a real conversation. So when she says something that I know would be confusing to you, I say, hey, Karen, explain that because that would be very confusing. And some of that would have clarified things. Otherwise, at times it may have clarified where you differ and where you disagree in the midst of ultimately what's happening. But it would have propelled as we got to know people at the table that you could go have a coffee with someone, begin to understand it. They could ask you to go out to lunch or to come to their family's house for dinner and we could begin to pursue. And I think in that pursuit of relational reconciliation, I'm not even saying sociological understanding reconciliation, I'm not saying we're about to merge our two churches. I'm not even saying theological reconciliation. I'm saying relational reconciliation. That would have done a lot more of good. But what I thought was I'm walking into an environment to speak to her church to say, we see you in your pain. I see it. I understand the challenges that we have in our own church. And this was me, so you hear this, thinking very specifically about don't constantly look at the speck in your neighbor's eye while you ignore the log that's in your own eye that if we are gonna practice Jesus and practice his teachings, we have to begin to implement those teachings. So I spoke about us often and made many of you feel like I was judging you, made many of you feel like I don't love this church. That's just totally wrong. This church has made me who I am at every level, has made me the husband I am, the father I am, has radically changed my life, has kept me in Arizona, right? has helped me understand that, see the depths and the grandeur and the glory of God. I love you. I love this church to the depths of my being. When I think about disrupting any of that because of my own sin or my own frailty, it grieves me. But where I feel the need as a leader to say things that I believe will conform us into the image of Jesus, I've got to say it. I sit at this moment and realize these passages and feel them as strongly as I think um, I can at this point of my Christian life of not many of you aspire to be teachers for your own for a stricter judgment, but I believe the whole framework of the judgment is how did you love God with all your everything and love your neighbor as yourself? 
And that's the pursuit at that moment. There's other things I said in that video with Karen that made people think, is he saying that we're all indifferent and we haven't been generous? What about all the money we've given away? Hear me say this. We have given away millions upon millions upon millions of dollars to people. We, that's you all, because of your generosity, because of the money you put in, we have been able to radically influence people in their work for the gospel and in their love of their neighbor, in loving as Christ has loved because of your generosity. We've been astoundingly generous. Redemption Arizona doesn't happen. The Surge Network doesn't happen. The Missional Training Center, gobs of other projects internationally, nationally, and inside our state. Foster care and adoption doesn't happen. Our partnership with Willis Junior High, our engagement in Ethiopia doesn't happen without your generosity. I wasn't saying that. What I want you to see is there's a framework we're thinking through of foreign friend family. Foreign, not meaning just foreign or a person who has a different passport, but people that are distant from us that we don't understand. And in many seasons and circumstances like that, we can serve and do serve by providing everything from food boxes to high levels of volunteers to massive amounts of money and time. And we can do all of that in its service, but people still remain foreigners to us. What God is calling us to as the church of Jesus Christ is to take those foreigners and become friends with them. That's what happened to us, right? This is what Jesus says. You know, you who were enemies of me, foreign from me, I've now called you friends. And then he doesn't just get to friends. He then calls us sons and daughters. So as we follow that rubric and that framework, always exalting Christ as our lens and our lane, we move into this and we go, we want it to get closer. That's what happened in Redemption Arizona is we had congregations like Alhambra and West Mesa and Flagstaff is encountering all of these people on the reservation is that we're raising up these people and we're listening and we're going, man, problems, challenges, situations that were foreign to us, these are now our friends and then we're moving, we're going, now they're our family. And when now they're your family, you're like, it's on. You can say a lot, I disagree with my family, but this is the point where we've got to figure this stuff out. We have to grind this out. We have to understand ultimately what this is. So my statements in that video were never proclaiming wholesale indifference. It wasn't saying every individual in here is indifferent. It wasn't saying every individual in here is a racist. It was saying collectively we have to look at this stuff as we progress to being conformed to the image of Jesus that we need more people in our midst that aren't like us, that have different vantage points and different experiences. And as that happens, we get shaped and formed ultimately. So here's what I want you to know. If somebody said, what is a dream? for where you're going, I wanna to present to you this table that's the Father's table of many types and many stripes under the Lordship and the saving nature of Jesus and Christ alone through grace alone. We experience it by faith. But this table that's being provided is that's the end game of the heart of the Father, that he would bring all these people to the table. And as we're at the table, we wrestle with each other. We struggle with each other. We have tension with each other. We are exposed and we expose. All the while in the midst of this. But here's where it plays out very significantly is if we were gonna get to Jesus in the Gospels and you see it, there's always these crowds around Jesus and as we walk towards Jesus, we move through a sea of the crowd. But as we're getting closer and closer to him, just for a minute, in your experience of the Gospels, who sits closest in proximity to Jesus himself. The poor, the overlooked, the marginalized, the blind, the sick, the woman who's been bleeding for days and days and days, those who the world called unclean. If you were gonna get to Jesus, you had to go through shorthand the poor. And now if you sit in Jesus, this moment where it says he is in us and we are in him, and we look out, our, prox, our view, our periphery, the, what we see is Jesus first, and then we are experiencing the dynamic, transformative power of the love of God all the time. And then we look out from Jesus, 
God is love, and then we see the poor, the marginalized, the overlooked, the poor, right? We see these people, and then from there we move out to all the other things that we're supposed to do, but we can't be disciples and or make disciples unless we're engaging at that level. So if somebody said to me, what is your dream? Tyler, stand up right now and give your I have a dream speech. I want my dream to be Jesus's dream. And I think Jesus's dream is rooted fundamentally. And I want people who fulfill by the power of the Holy Spirit, only by the grace of God, who live out, love one another as I have loved you. And by this, the world will know you're my disciples. I think Jesus' dream is expressed in his prayer. Father, let them be one even as we are one so that the world may know. I think Jesus is pleased when people who elevate the historic Jesus, who is God, who is truly God and truly man, who's saved the world in his life, death, and resurrection, those who elevate Jesus, like Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, I think God is pleased when we sit at a table with those people. And we don't have to compromise our convictions, our theology, our view at the moment of what's gonna happen, but we do have to open ourselves to love and to be transformed by love. We do have to open ourselves up to the fact that this could radically change. So just imagine with me for a moment, Redemption Gilbert, that when people walk into this church, they don't just go, that's just another tribe like every other tribe. That this could actually be a place where people go, how in the world are those people hanging out together? And if you go to that party, like they're fighting with each other all the time, but they leave and they're coming back next time. These people radically love each other. They love each other enough to talk truth to each other. In love, like Paul says in Ephesians, speaking the truth to one another in love, building each other up in Christ. They're willing to look and talk about the hard topics. Red make America great again hats and Black Lives Matter. And they have those people both in their church. And they both believe they're the ones ruining society, but they come here and they go, here, Christ is all in and all. Now, hear me when I say this. That's the dream I have for Redemption Gilbert. But then in conjunction with the power that the world may know, that Phoenix may know, that Arizona may know, that we're willing to literally at this moment go, I'm a part of a tribe. Right? I'm more aware of this now than I've ever been aware of in my life. I am a part of a tribe and gobs of it I'm super thankful for. I can articulate more now than I've ever been able, but here's what I know. I don't worship at the altar of my tribe. I worship at the feet of Jesus Christ. And he then gives meaning and he shows me where my tribe's in sin. He shows me where I'm in sin. He shows where I fail as a husband, where I fail as a father, where I fail as a pastor, where I fail as a citizen. But he continually shows me grace and says, keep walking, keep risking, but trust love. Trust love. Let's pray. Father, this is just a, a pebble in a pond, and I pray that the ripples of this um, would be to the point of accomplishing your dream, that you would be set up as Lord and Savior, that the world may recognize, that we may recognize the grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God, show us more of yourself. God, give us courage. Propel us forward. God, make us those who love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.